you treat your friends better than you treat your family. This is a statement that stopped me in my tracks when as a teenager my mom said it to me. And it stopped me in my tracks for two reasons. One is because I knew she was right. And two, because I knew it wasn't right to act like that. Treat your friends better than you treat your family. Maybe you found yourself in that situation as well. When it comes to the church, let me ask the question this, to you and put it this way. Do you treat those with whom you share a common interest better than those with whom you share a common faith? There's lots of people we might have common interests with, people we grew up with, people who have the same hobbies, maybe even part of the same blood family as we are, um, people who are fans of the same sports teams, common interests. And do you treat people who you share a common interest with better than those with whom you share a common faith? We're starting a new series this morning called One Another. We're going through the month of August with it. We'll be in several Sundays with this series. And we're basically going to be looking at places where the Bible talks about how we are to be treating one another in the church and those who are a part of the family of God. One another is a term that the Bible and specifically the New Testament uses many times to talk about how the church and how Christians are to live with one another. We put this series on our calendar uh, months back, way back at the beginning of the year, way before we knew anything about COVID or many of the events that are going on in our country. But it seems the Lord knew that this would be a very appropriate series, not only for our church here at Mount Hope, but for the church in general. It's a good reminder and a good time for us to reflect on how is it that we are to be treating one another. There are some 59 directives in the New Testament of how Christians are to treat one another. There's bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, encourage one another, instruct one another. We're going to be looking at several of them on Sunday mornings this next month. And we're also going to be looking at them in our morning Zoom devotions at 8 a.m. Our leaders have been given a one another statement for them to share and explore in that 8 a.m. Zoom devotion. So to get the full experience, you're going to want to be a part of that. But all of these one another statements, the 59 of them, I think are all grounded really in one one another statement. And I want to look at that this morning with you. And it's found in John chapter 13 and verse 34. And I'm going to give you a moment to grab your Bible and preferably a paper copy of a Bible. You can click to it in your phone or your device if you want. But I'd like you, if you have a paper copy nearby or you need to even run to another room right now and grab one, go ahead and grab it because it's going to be helpful for you to see the entire chapter in front of you all at once to see what I want to share with you this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 13. So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you'll get to John. If you get to Acts, you've gone too far. So go back a little bit. And when you get to John, go to chapter 13 and look at verse 34. Because all these 59 commands about how we are to treat one another, I believe, are grounded in this one command found in John chapter 13, verse 34. It's the words of Jesus. And here's what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
And this is the foundational command that all these others are grounded in. Love one another. But not simply love one another, Jesus says. Love one another just as I have loved you. So in order to understand what Jesus is telling us and instructing his followers, we really need to understand what do those two words mean? What do just as mean? What is it to, to understand how we are to love just as Jesus has loved us? Well, to understand the definition of these two words, I think we we have to answer two questions. What did Jesus do and who did he do it for? When we understand what Jesus did and who he did it for, I think we will understand better as Christians exactly what it is to love each other just as Jesus loved his disciples. So what did he do? If you're looking at chapter 13, and here's where I wanted you to get the bigger picture of it. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 13, your Bible probably has a, a title for the chapter there. I'm looking at the English Standard Version, the ESV. And the title that uh, this translation has for chapter 13 is Jesus Washes the Disciples' Feet. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And actually, in that one little statement, we have an answer to both those questions. What did he do, and who did he do it for? Well, what he did was he washed the feet of his followers. And if you're not familiar with this text or Christianity, you may think, well, that's kind of strange, and what is the significance of that? Well, the significance of it is that the disciples had dirty feet, and they needed to be washed, and Jesus washed them. It's as simple as that. But the real significance is that this was a task that was a real menial task in this society. It was necessary, but no one really washed their own feet. In fact, most times for a meal like this that they were sitting down and eating, which was a Passover meal and a very significant a high holiday meal for them, there would almost always be a servant around who would end up washing the feet of the guests. But at this occasion, it was just Jesus and his followers. There were no servants. And these guys weren't royalty, but in their minds, they weren't foot washers either. So they'd rather sit down at the table and eat with dirty feet than any one of them washing their own or certainly the feet of the other men around the tables. And so they did. But then somewhere through the meal, Jesus gets up from his spot at the table and he gets a basin of water and a towel and he washes the feet of his disciples. And I want you to get a picture of this because oftentimes if you've ever seen this depicted, it probably looked different than the depiction you saw. You probably saw maybe a statue of Jesus kneeling or maybe even in your head you have a picture of Jesus kneeling before one of his disciples and he's kneeling and the disciples on a chair and they're looking kind of eye to eye and Jesus is washing his feet. But almost certainly that is not the picture of what actually happened. The disciples were not sitting at a table height the way we're used to and on chairs the way we're used to. The text tells us they were reclining at the table, which means uh, the table was probably about 18 inches high and they were probably leaning on their left arm, all of them, uh, maybe leaning on the person who was to the left of them a little bit. And they had their feet positioned behind them while they reached into the table with their right hand and grabbed food that they would be eating. So for Jesus to wash their feet, he had to walk behind them. In fact, when someone would wash, a servant would wash people's feet at the table, it became very easy to ignore whoever was doing the foot washing. But you couldn't ignore it when it was Jesus. 
So imagine the scene at the table. For them to see Jesus washing their feet, they would have had to really uncomfortably turn behind them and talk to Jesus, really strain their neck. And I don't imagine they did that a lot of the time. Most of the time, they were probably looking right into the eyes of the man and the men across the table from them and thinking, what is going on? Have you ever seen anything like this? That a master, a rabbi, a teacher would start washing the feet of his followers. And, and, and have you ever seen it? the awkwardness of the moment? And they're staring right into the eyes of his other followers. And then Jesus finishes. And he says, as I have done for you, now you do for each other. Love one another as I have loved you. And all that time, they're looking into the eyes of who that one another is. Jesus humbled himself, and there was no task that was too low in order to serve those he loved. And when there was something that needed to be done, he did it, and he showed them the extent of his love. And so what he did is significant. But who he did it for is equally as significant. And of course he did it for his disciples. It's, we saw that. But I want, here's why I want you to see the entirety of chapter 13. Because if you look at that chapter, you have it opened up before you, what you'll see is the command to love one another is in verse 34. And that section falls in between two other sections that highlight two individual men that were a part of this group. Certainly he washed the feet of all the disciples. But the text really highlights two men who are around that table whose feet Jesus washed. The first section before the commandment is given is about Judas who would betray him. Jesus tells him, you're going you're gonna to betray me. He knows it. Judas knows it. And Jesus washed Judas' feet. Right after he gives the command... Chapter 13, verse 34. Right after that, there's a section on Peter. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times before this night's even over. You're going to do it publicly and under very little pressure it's going to happen. But you're going to deny me. And Jesus washes Peter's feet anyways. Jesus shows them his love. It's not just what Jesus did that informs the just as I have loved you. It's who he did it for that also informs just as I have loved you. Because what I believe who he did it for does is it frees us up to love one another. And it takes away some of the excuses we have that keep us, I believe, from showing love to one another. At least three of them. Let me go through real quickly. It takes away, number one, the excuse that would say, well, I don't know if they're in. I don't know if they're actually a part of the one another. I don't know if they're actually a part of the church. I don't know if they're actually a part of the body of Christ. The way they live, the way they talk, the things they post make me think they're not even a follower of Jesus. So I think I'm not sure I have to show them the love to one another that I'm to show those in the body of Christ. Judas betrayed him. Jesus knew he was going to betray him. Jesus washed his feet anyway. We know that Judas was remorseful, but we have no evidence that Judas ever came to a place of repentance. 
God alone is the righteous judge. He knows who's in and who's out. You and I don't. We don't know those people who are sitting beside us in a church, those who are attending and endeavoring to follow Jesus. We don't know who's in and who's out, but we don't have to know because Jesus washed Judas's feet, even though he knew Judas would betray him. And Judas was really out. He wasn't even in. In fact, in this passage earlier in chapter 13, Jesus says, not all of you are clean because he knew Judas wasn't on board with everything that was going on. And Jesus washed his feet anyway. Takes away the excuse of, well, I don't know if they're really a part of the one another. No, you love them anyway if they're a part of that local church and gathering that you're in. It also takes away the excuse that says, well, if I show love to them, it's going to encourage them maybe in a wrong that they're doing. Maybe they're headed in the wrong direction. Maybe they, they're heading in some wrong, uh, you know, actions in their life. And I, if I show them love, it's going to encourage them to continue in their wrong direction. Jesus very truthfully pointed out that Judas was going to betray him and that Peter, you're going to deny me, but he showed them love anyway. And nobody in their right mind would think that Jesus was somehow uh, on board or encouraging their actions. Because he washed their feet didn't mean that Judas was somehow clean. He wasn't washing, well, the washing of Judas's feet and showing him love wasn't giving him an attaboy, good job, you're on track, you're doing the right thing, you're clean. No, it was simply Jesus showing him love. In fact, the only way Judas really could be a betrayer is if Jesus really loved him. Because Jesus loved him as a friend, then Judas was able to betray him and betray his friend. It takes away the excuse that you and I might say, well, they might think that I'm encouraging their action. No, people almost always know where you stand. They don't think you're encouraging their action and you're on board with it just because you show them love. Jesus wasn't afraid to wash the feet of Judas even though he was about to betray him. The third excuse finally is, well, people might think I'm, I'm affirming maybe a life that's not being lived completely for God. People might, I might have guilt by association when I show love to someone who's living in a way that is not completely on board and biblical and in line with Jesus. Peter denied him three times. Jesus did not take the stance of, well, Peter, you, you, you know, you're, you seem so gung-ho and you seem like you're on board and you seem like, I know you're saying you want to die for me, but let's see if you can make it through the next 24 hours without denying me. And if that, then maybe I'll wash your feet, maybe I'll die for your sins. No, that wasn't the response Jesus took. Just as Pastor Brian said during communion, Jesus went first. He washed their feet. He died for them and their sins, even though Peter would deny him three times. There may be people you know, and you think, well, you say you're a follower of Jesus, and, and, and at times you, you're living as a hypocrite, and, and, and you look like you're even denying your faith. Peter denied him, and Jesus loved him, washed his feet. Yes, he spoke truth to him. That's a part of love, and he extended grace. That's a part of love, but just because we, we got to be careful that our cautiousness or caution of being 
you know, lumped in, guilt by association doesn't keep us from showing love to someone in the body of Christ, to one another. Jesus was labeled by some as a friend of sinner and a drunkard. Why? Not because he ever got drunk. He didn't. But because he showed love to those who did. He wasn't guilty. There's a difference between guilt by association and actual guilt. Jesus was never actually guilty of any sin, but there were those who, because of the love he showed, he wasn't afraid to show love because there were some people that would wrongly lump him in and think of him as a sinner. No, his father knew the truth. So don't let the excuse of guilt by association keep you from showing love. Just as Jesus loved is defined by what he did, his humble act of foot washing and who he did it for. If you are going to live out the command to love one another, then you first need to receive the love of Jesus into your life. You don't need him to wash your feet, but you do need him to wash your heart. Don't attempt to try and live out this command in your own strength without first receiving from Jesus the love that he offers, the forgiveness that he offers. When you put your faith and your trust in him and the forgiveness and the cleansing of your heart and your life and the cleansing of your sin that you receive from Jesus, even though you have sinned, even though you have lived as an enemy of him, you receive that from him. And when you receive that from him, then you can go and love one another in the body of Christ just as Christ has loved you. Look, this is a time in our country and our world where more and more division is coming in. And that's why it's an appropriate time for this series. We're in the middle of a pandemic and it's masks and no masks and there's people that have all kinds of strong opinions and, and is it real and is it not and how serious is it and we're all making decisions based on incomplete information and our country is becoming divided. There's racial division and unrest and, and how much and how deep is the problem and what's the solution and more and more division is coming about between citizens and law enforcement and races. There's an election coming up and there's the right and the left, the red and the blue, the Democrat, the Republican. There's me, there's you, there's this and that. And more and more divisions coming about. And yet Jesus says those in the church are to love one another. We have to love one another and we have to love the other who is the one another. And that's where it's so important that who Jesus did it for is critical for us. Who he did it for. Because the truth is most of us travel the relational highway in a single lane. We spend most of our time around people who are mostly like us. But if we do that, we will never fully live out the one another command. Because the one another command applies to everyone who is a part of that local church, a part of that church that you are a part of. People of different races, socioeconomic places, people of different yeah, nationalities, ethnicities, people of different stations in life, people of different citizenship. Loving one another as a part of the body of Christ. And if I mostly spend all my time around people who are mostly like me, I'll never fully, and we will never full out, live out the one another. So here's the question we want you to consider as we're going through this series. Who is the other that you need to be one anothering? 
Who is the other in your life that you need to one another? Who is the other, the one who's different, the one who's different from you but is in the body of Christ, is a part of the church, is worshiping with you? Who is the other that you need to one another? Because imagine what it would be like if we all loved one another in the church, in a way when the time, when our world is getting further and further apart, if we grew closer and closer together, what difference would that make? You don't have to wonder because Jesus tells you in verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The mark of a disciple is not just what you do, but who you do it for. And if we will love one another and grow closer together when our world is growing further apart, it will show people that we are truly followers of Jesus. My nephew uh, is into metal detecting. And a couple weeks ago, I got the chance to go to the beach with him as he was doing metal detecting. And it's really cool. I had never done that. And he, he goes along the beach and he, he can find the smallest little piece of metal with his equipment and listening for it. And it's really exciting when that little beep goes off and he starts digging because you never know if you're going to find something valuable or lots of times something unvalued, you know, not of any value, but it's pretty cool. But he tells me the things he least likes to find are bottle caps. And I thought that was interesting. I thought, why are bottle caps the things you least like to find? And he said, because bottle caps give off a strong signal, but they're not worth anything. And I thought, wow, that's pretty profound. They give off a strong signal, but they're not worth any value. And I wonder if the body of Christ, that sometimes we give off a strong signal a strong signal that this is who we are, this is who Christ is, of our beliefs and our faith. But because we are not loving one another just as Christ loved us, that we are not bringing the value that we should bring when it comes to the body of Christ. Because Christ said, if you will love one another just as I loved you, then the world will know that we are his followers. So who is the other that you need to one another so that the world will know, Mount Hope, that we are followers of Jesus.